This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read the scripture first. It's a long passage, but we always do that, and I want to be sure that we do it this morning because there's a lot here to talk about. Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse number 9. Acts chapter 8, verse number 9. But there was a, uh, a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was given to the laying on of hand, the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you were in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray one more time. God, thank you for this word. It's your word. It's for us today. And Lord, I would pray that you would take the warning, the intent that Luke had when he wrote this and make it real for us. Help us to live this out in our life and let's do it all, Father, for your glory. Lord, I pray for protection. As God is moving here at redemption, the enemy will be active. And Lord, we need to be aware and be alert. And I would pray that you would give us your help in all those things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start out today talking about a historical figure you may probably, probably don't know. Her name is Virginia Hall. Uh, Virginia Hall was an American. She worked with both the British and the American Secret Services, and she was actually uh, deployed to German-occupied France. And so she lived in German-occupied France as a spy. Now, when she was young, she was in a hunting accident, and so a part of her leg was missing, and so she had a prosthetic leg. She actually gave, she actually gave the prosthetic leg a name. If I ever get a prosthetic leg, I'm so going to give it a name. But she gave her a prosthetic leg a name. She called it Guthbert. And what she would do is she would uh, put uh, highly sensitive documents, the things that she discovered, and she would put it in the prosthetic leg and was able to carry the messages where they needed to go that way. She was also extremely intelligent, and she, behind enemy lines, she was able to coordinate um, rescues, assassinations, the deployment of resources, all while living under German occupation. 
it's not the enemy that you can see that poses the greatest danger to you. It's the enemy that you can't see. And even though Virginia Hall was on our side, praise the Lord, she still illustrates that truth. It's not the enemy that you can see that poses the greatest danger. It's the enemy you don't see. And I think that's why we have this story here in Acts chapter 8. Because our enemy knows that truth. And since the church began, there have been wolves among the sheep. So dangerous was this that uh, Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, uh, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. As we consider this story coming later in Acts, the story we have here in front of us, I think the clear intent of Luke in this text is to say, watch out for wolves. So that's going to be our big idea of the day. Write it down. Watch out for wolves. Watch out for wolves. Now, now you heard me read that text. And if you were paying attention, you know, there's some, some tricky things in here that we got to talk about, some wrestling we got to do with this text. And it's been a little bit of a wrestling match, but praise God, the preaching team met with me and we just discussed these things this week. And uh, here's what I want to do. I want to give you two principles today, two key principles that will help you uh, in this watching for wolves. Uh, number one, write this down, how to handle wolves, how to handle wolves. We need to learn how to do that. And what I'm going to do is we'll take this kind of text and I want to put the principles here in, in a sentence. And I think that once we construct this sentence, It'll be helpful to you to know what we should do with wolves. So let's start out this way. Write this down first. Wolves are deceptive. Wolves are deceptive. Now check this out again. Acts chapter 8, verse number 9. Let's read this text again together. Uh, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And all paid attention to him from the least of these to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of who, church? Come along, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. Now, uh, this is coming off of the story of Philip. Remember Philip last week? How Philip was going and he was performing miracles. And there was even a whole point of my message to say one of the ways we participate in the work of God is by sharing his miracles. Because God, in this day especially, was attesting to the gospel by the working of miracles. But then you have the story coming right off the back of that about Simon, who's also working miracles. And I want you to hear the clear warning that uh, maybe not written down, but certainly intended is, listen, not all miracles are from God. Not all miracles are from God. You need to beware. And think about, think about uh, Moses. Remember how Moses went before the Pharaoh and God had told him to perform certain things. Sometimes the best illustrations are biblical illustrations. So here's Moses. And uh, he remember how God told him, hey, put your hand in your cloak and then take it out. It was leprous. Put the hand in the cloak, take it out. It was healed, right? So he did that. And then the magicians around Pharaoh said, yeah, we can do that. We got this. Took a staff, threw it on the ground. It became a snake. Then he reached down and picked it up. By the way, that would be a miracle for me to reach down and pick up a snake. But he reached down and picked up a snake and it came a staff again. And the magicians were like, yeah, we got that. We can do that. So like, like what's going on there? Maybe it was just really good sleight of hand. There's some people that are really, really good at sleight of hand. Uh, this guy freaks me out. David Blaine. You see this guy? He, he's kind of freaky. 
I watched him do a trick once, kind of on the street where he's standing in front of this restaurant, and he just kind of stops this couple and does this card trick for him. They end up taking the cards and throwing them out the window, and their card is stuck to the other side of the window. That's all sleight of hand, okay? So maybe these magicians are really good at the sleight of hand thing, but I also do believe that there is demonic forces, and I do believe that the enemy works that way. Uh, my sister was wrapped up in the cult for a while. She's a believer now, praise God, but for a time she wasn't. And there are things that she's told me that make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, just freaky things. So, so maybe that's what was going on here. Maybe it was some of that. Uh, here's the point, though. Here's the point. Just because someone's working miracles doesn't mean it's of God. You have the miracles, but Simon didn't have the gospel. And without the gospel, the miracles meant nothing. Well, the deception is going on, and though he looks good, he's not good. Warning, warning. Because it's easy to fall into a trap of a wolf who appears to be doing the work of God, who appears to be doing good things. And as we've kind of seen across our country, we've seen this, haven't we? Men being exposed for who they are. Ministries toppling because men are being exposed as wolves. And one of the things that you'll hear about the leadership around them was like, yeah, but God was at work. Look at all the God was doing. Look at all these miracles. And they would overlook some of the wolfish things that were coming out. And I should say we would overlook some of the wolfish things that were coming out because it seemed that it was so good. But just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. All the glitters is not gold. But that was prior to his... That was one of the ways he deceived, but there's another way. And I want you to see this text. Because here's, okay, so here's one of the tough questions. When you read this text, one of the tough questions is, was Simon really a believer? Did Simon really believe? Well, mm, the text seems to indicate that. Let's let our eyes fall on verse number 13, where it says this, Simon himself believed, okay, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Okay, so he continued with him and seeing signs and great wonders that performed, he was amazed. Okay, so you see, he believed, and then he also just continued with them. So, so think about this. There was this group of young disciples that Philip was leading to the Lord and then discipling, and chances are they were meeting together for quite some time. I mean, you know, the word has to get back to Jerusalem, and then Peter and John have to make their way back down. So this could have been weeks, if not months, worth of Philip, uh, sorry, Simon being among Philip, Simon being a part of the body, so to speak. So it all looks good. But then you get this. And things get tough in verse number 18. Let your eyes fall in verse number 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. So Simon was going to perish. Interesting, because you thought you could attain the gift of God with money. Verse 21, very clear here. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you were in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. I don't know how you can read that and come out with the idea that Simon was a real believer. It's really evident he wasn't a real believer. And don't let the word believe in verse 13 bother you too much. He believed. Remember, the demons believed, and they tremble. Simon believed something. Listen now. 
Maybe he believed God was good. Maybe he believed God was amazing. The word amazement comes up in this text all the time. Maybe he believed that. He could have even believed that Jesus died for sin. He could believe that, but he was missing something important. And the text reveals it. Because look at Peter's counsel in verse 22. Do you see it? Let your eyes fall in verse 22. Tell me what the first word is in verse 22. What is it? Come on. Repent. All right, listen, this is so important. It's more than just believing that even Jesus died for sin. Hey, you have to believe Jesus died for my sin. I'm a sinner. And this activity, this thing I'm participating in, these actions I'm doing, these are sinful and sending me to hell. And I have to repent. I have to turn of that. Listen, belief is empty without repentance. And repentance is vital to salvation. And Simon never repented. He never repented. I don't believe he did even in verse 24 that his prayer in verse 24, pray for me to the Lord. It seems more focused on him than anything else. I'm wondering this morning if there might be some people listening who believe part of the gospel, some of the gospel, But I'm concerned that maybe there are elements of your life that you know are sin, but you just don't want to turn from them. And if that's a pattern, it might be evidence that you might not really believe. Regardless, we have to, when we see men and we see the great things they are doing, we have to look beyond appearances. We do. Now, I need to be careful because I've mentioned kind of some of the leaders of the day that are falling and maybe some names are coming to your mind. Maybe you're thinking James McDonald. Of course, certainly someone close to me in my life. Maybe you're thinking um, uh, Mark Driscoll, Robbie Zacharias, uh, Bill Hybels. I know some of these names where the this, this exposure of their sin is coming up. And, and I don't want to sit here and say that these men weren't real believers. I don't know. I don't know their heart. We don't know their heart. Would you say it with me? Say, we don't know their heart. 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 But we, we, we can say this, can't we? That there is some level where they lacked repentance. And we need to be sure to look beyond the appearances. And, church, we need to be sure that we're not lacking repentance. Hey, wolves are deceptive. But, but I want to get a little bit more down to this repentance piece and take it a step further because write this down as well. Wolves are deceptive, but their hearts are evil. But their hearts are evil. Using that word on purpose because here is the text and I want you to see this. Here's verse 20. Take a look at this. This is Peter's counsel to, um, to Simon. And do you, have your, do you have your pen ready? Because I'm going to have you mark a couple words in your Bible. So get your pen ready. So here is Acts 8, verse number 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your, here it is, heart is not right before God. Underline that word heart. Peter's really specific here. Your heart is not right before God. Verse 22, repent therefore of the sickness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, uh, may forgive it with possible, the intent of your church heart. You see it there again, heart. Underline that word heart there may be forgiven you. Simon may have 
repented of some fruit level things, but the whole thing he was missing was the intent of his heart was wicked. Listen, Simon did not have saving faith. He did not have saving faith because he did not repent. He did not repent because he loved something more. And what was that? What did Simon love more than Jesus? Take a look at verse number nine. I mean, he he says it. He flat out says it. Uh, But there was a man named Simon, back to verse number nine again, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. Here it is, saying that he himself was somebody great. great. (laughs) I'm great. You should check me out, man. I'm pretty amazing. I am pretty spectacular. And he loved people calling him great. He loved the admiration of men. I wonder if he talked about himself in the third person. <laughs> Did you see Simon do that? Wasn't Simon amazing? Wasn't Simon? No, that's creepy, dude. Don't do that. He shows it again, and he shows his lack of repentance. When, again, verse number 18, now when Simon saw the Holy Spirit was given, the laying on of hands, he offered them money. By the way, isn't it always interesting how, how money and corruption of power kind of go hand in hand? Interesting note there. But anyway, um, saying, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands on receive. So he wanted the power to show that, it, that, that he could go and he, he could lay hands. And, and anyone he chose could, could, could be that. And, and again, it's a lack of repentance for, for this. He wanted significance. And he wanted to be known as great. I, uh, I don't know, church, this seems to be coming up frequently, doesn't it? I just, as we're preaching through the text, uh, these things just kind of keep coming to light. And this desire to be seen as, as something great. I, uh, I was listening to a podcast this week, and by the way, everybody has a podcast now. Did you check that out? I mean, it's like there's thousands of podcasts out there, and you may listen to one. I listened to one about preaching, and uh, Pastor Mike Bullmore, and, and some of you might know Pastor Mike Bullmore. He is actually a phenomenal uh, gospel-centered pastor, and if you want to you know, listen to somebody preach, I mean, check him out. But, but Mike Bullmore said this on this podcast. That was really good. You know the uh, Westminster Greater Catechism. We say it kind of frequently around here. The Westminster Greater Catechism uh, says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, well, Mike Bullmore points out, the chief end of man is to glorify God, and the chief temptation of man is to glorify himself. And I think what we've seen in a lot of these men who have fallen it is that their heart was really more focused on their own greatness than about God's greatness. And how do you know? Well, listen, church. When the heat is on, the heart is revealed. When the heat is on, the heart is revealed. And God will expose the heart. I, uh, I have these... I used to give this illustration all the time, and I haven't done it for a long time. But if you're like one of the people who've been here for a while, you'd be like, not the tea bags again. But some of you new people are going to be like, what are those really interesting tea bags Pastor has? Well, let me show you. Uh, how do you know what's in a tea bag? I used to have uh, a tea bag like this, and I filled it up with grass clippings. And I said, hey, Ben, you want some tea? Well, you got to pick one's got grass clippings, and one has tea bags or tea. Which one do you want? And you'd be like, I don't know. Uh, by the way, if you smell that, you can probably tell. But anyway, what you would do is you would put hot water on the tea bag, right? 
And if you put hot water on a bag filled with grass clippings, it's not going to make tea. It's going to be something nasty. But if you put hot water on a tea bag, then what's in the bag comes to the surface. And, and when the heat is on, the heart is revealed. Now, don't, don't, I know we're talking about leaders and wolves, but don't miss the personal application, the personal questions to be asking yourself, and that is, when the heat is on me, what do I see coming to the surface? Because uh, really, I think you can take a lot of the sin that's out in life, and you can boil it down to four key heart drivers, four key heart drivers. One is comfort. Oftentimes, we're driven by comfort, and maybe comfort's a thing you kind of run to a lot. A lot of people today are driven by pleasure. I want to do it because it feels good. A lot of people are driven by the need for security and a doubt that they can really find their security in God and God alone. That's a key issue. And then one we've talked about a lot and one that I have to fight on a regular basis, and that's the idol of significance or approvals, what Simon was dealing with here. He wanted to be great, wanted to be significant. And boy, we, we, we crouch this in such good language. I've been watching the Olympics, and, and, and I hear it all the time in these athletes. I just want to make a name for myself. I want to make a name for myself. Or sometimes, hey, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy. Now, look, I want my kids and my grandbabies whenever I have them, hopefully soon. I can't wait to have grandkids. Not too soon. Marriage first and then, you know. But point being, like, I, I want them all to know Jesus, but I don't want it to be about Jamie. I want to have an impact, but I want them to be more in love with Jesus than they are in love with Jamie. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Don't let heart idols go unchecked, because if you don't check the intention of the heart, it can lead to very bad places. If you don't change the intention of the heart, it can lead to very bad places. Well, I feel like I say every week that I'm reading another book. I do read a lot, okay? So forgive me and quit judging. But the book I'm reading kind of picked up again this week, because I finished another one, was um, Winston Churchill's book on the mem- his memoirs of World War II. And it's so interesting. And in the first one, Gathering Storm, he kind of just really sets the, the, um, the history that led to World War II. And one of the things was happening in Germany. So uh, after World War I, a German signed the Treaty of Versailles. In that treaty, they had uh, promised uh, not to have any, any more than a 200,000 or, or so uh, force army. So just a couple hundred thousand people in their army. And they couldn't have an air force and they couldn't have a navy. They had to disarm everything. And they signed that treaty. Yep, we're all about this. We're going to do this. So here's what they did. This is a, a German uh, general by the name of Siecht. And uh, this man, he looks like a German evil general, doesn't he? I mean, if you were to cast evil German general, this guy would be the guy that you would cast. In some pictures, he has a monocle on. He's, he's that evil that he wears a monocle. But anyway, um, so see, here's, here's what Sieg did. Sieg, yeah, he kept the army to a couple hundred thousand. But what he did is he trained these 200,000 to be the elite officers and commanders. In fact, he had um, war games with these guys as if they were uh, directing troops. And then what he did is he went to the children's programs, kind of like Boy Scouts or or Cub Scouts, and he gave them material to train them as the foot soldiers. And so as they were growing up, they were learning military tactics. 
and he went to the they can't have an air force, but he went to the civil air patrol, and he began giving them documentations into the to the you know civil um, naval units. They, they were all civilian, but yet he was giving them all the information. And all the while, it took decades, but but he eventually got to the place where in World War II they had a, an elite trained force because the intention was never they wanted world domination in World War One. Guess what they wanted in World War Two? World domination. The intent of the heart never changed. So I say to you, be careful about the intent of the hearts. Our hearts are evil. Don't let Disney tell you different. Our hearts are evil. A couple of questions, if I may. Where do you find yourself longing for the approval of man? Again, I just, I've said it for a couple of weeks now. I think it goes deeper than you think it goes. I think more of what you do may be driven by this than you realize. And I just want to encourage you, Repent. I've had to several times. Do you have people in your life that are helping you see your sin? Do you know how easy it is for me to isolate myself as a pastor? It's really easy. Like if I wanted to, I could be like, y'all be in small groups. And I'm not in a small group. And, and set my, I was trained this way. I was trained not to really reveal anything that I'm struggling with, but to protect the office of a pastor. And that's really, really bad advice. And the, and the people who should know me best have got to be more than just pastors that are hundreds of miles away. They've got to be the people I'm doing life with. Adam, Drew, my elders. And, and I want them seeing me. And I want them to, to ask me the question, hey, is this for your own glory? You, know, you, you need people in your life to, to do that with you. What other heart desires might be driving you? Just ask these questions. really, really important to be thinking about these things. All right, I gotta keep cooking here. Um, wolves are deceptives, but their hearts are evil. Check this out, which becomes evident over time. This is really interesting because there are some biblical principles this story illustrates really well. And all throughout the Bible, here's Numbers 32, verse 23. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Jesus said this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Look, sin will find you out. It's not going to be hidden. And I'm saying that to you so passionately today. Because there are some that are struggling in the dark. Some of you men and maybe some of you women are struggling with pornography and you want no one else to know about it because you want to avoid the shame. Can I just say to you, this is a place where you can be fully known and fully loved and we will come alongside you and we will help you if you repent of that seeking pleasure in areas that God has forbid. Bring it to the light. It will come in a matter of time. Jesus said this a little bit earlier in Luke. He said, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes gathered from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart, church, produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Could you read that last line with me, starting from 4? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is one of the tricks of counseling. When I'm counseling somebody, you know, the tendency is like, hey, I'm the counselor. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. No, no, no. Just listen. 
ask questions and listen because eventually the heart issues come to the surface. Here's a principle that I want to teach you that you just need to know, and this is so true. Truth and time go hand in hand. I have no idea who originally said it, but it's very true. Truth and time go hand in hand. Give it enough time, and those heart issues are going to be exposed. So by application, let me just say, what sins are you hiding that need exposed to the light? And what will it take for you to actually repent? And I want to encourage you, repent. Turn. All right, almost done with this uh, sentence and then on to the next principle. I am looking at the time. You're okay. Here we go. Here's the sentence. Wolves are deceptive, but their hearts are evil, which become evident over time. And letter D there, they must be silenced. What do you do with the wolf? What do you do with the wolf? Well, Paul taught Titus really clearly what to do with wolves. Here is Titus chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Look at this list, okay? He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as, as taught. Love that. We were focused on that last week, weren't we? But keep reading. So that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be Silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Wow. Listen, church, a good shepherd feeds the sheep and a good shepherd shoots the wolves. Now, I'm not talking literally, probably. But how do we do that? How do we shoot wolves? Well, one way is we, we expose them. Uh, one way is we call them out. Uh, one way is we even discipline people out if we need to. If someone was teaching heresy and they wouldn't repent of that, we would discipline them out of the church. And we have disciplined people out of the church. It's never a fun process, but it's a necessary process and an obedient process that we have to be very careful to handle wolves right. It's not okay to let a wolf flourish. It's not gracious to overlook a wolf's sin. We have to be silenced. So how do you handle wolves? That's a good question, and we've answered that with the sentence, but now here's this, and I want you to really lean in on this now. How do we handle ourselves? What are the applications? How do I draw this into my life? A couple of things I want to share with you there. Number one is this. First of all, would you guard your amazement? Would you guard your amazement? Um, our, our world is filled with uh, Christian celebrities that we could easily get enamored with. And, oh, I like that. And, oh, that sounds good. And finally, someone's saying that. And we can get really excited about what's going on with them. And, and maybe we're just retweeting their stuff or whatever we're doing. And, and we're excited about them. But I just want to caution you and remind you that they're all just men. And here's what the text reveals that Jesus 
thought about men. This is John 2, 24 and 25. But Jesus, uh, uh, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. We love the celebrity. We love the new thing. And I think it's the more exposure is happening, the more we're aware of this. But just guard your amazement. Hey, you know, we can be amazed maybe by their financial success. We can be amazed maybe by the amount of people they're pulling into their church. Hey, we can even be amazed at teaching. And it could be really, really good teaching. But here's the thing to remember. They're just men. And guard that amazement. If I can draw a very personal application, I would say this. Guard your own heart. I've alluded to it. Let me just say it really plainly. I want you to know that to some degree we are all in danger of being wolfish. All of us are. I say wolfish because I think that true wolves aren't believers. And uh, I, again, I have no ability to say with any intelligence of the, some of the leaders that have fallen recently what their status before the Lord is. But I don't think that James McDonald or Mark Driscoll or whoever else started out with bad intentions of being wolfish. I think they probably loved the Lord and loved his word, but somewhere along the way, something else captured their heart, namely their own glory, and because of that, they became wolfish. And, and if, they, if they could, I can. And you can. Let's guard our own heart. Listen. Repent of any other love. Love Jesus the most. If anything else has captured your heart, repent and turn from that. Now there's one more. Guard your amazement, guard your heart. Lastly, this, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the clock in the back says 11.51. That means I have nine minutes, so I'm preaching every one of those, by the way. But... Uh, I know we've talked about a lot already. Can you bear with me to do one more dive into the text? Because there's a little question that still remains that we've got to get an answer to. We talked about Simon's salvation, but what's going on with the Samaritans and their receiving of the Holy Spirit? Because this is in there, and we've got to kind of get an idea of what's happening here. So let me get a set up the issue for you, and, and there's a lot of application here. So first of all, let's start by looking at verse number 12. Here's verse number 12. But when they believed, okay, so when they, what church? Believed, all right. So we saw that word with Simon. And like we said earlier, the demons believed and they trembled. Okay, so that's, what belief is that? Uh, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So we see this, this word again and the fact that they believe. But then you have this problem in verse number 14. Let's rise from the 14. So now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that the Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them, Peter and John, who also came down and prayed for them that they might receive, here's the words, the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen, yet not fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, when they laid hands on him, they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's weird because when do we get the Holy Spirit, church? We get the Holy Spirit when we 
believe. We are indwelt with the Spirit. We are baptized in the Spirit. Those are some Bible words. And that Spirit comes at salvation. So, so here it says they believed, but they didn't get the Spirit until Peter and John came. So what's going on here? Why the delay here in the coming of the Holy Spirit? What's going on? Well, there's two real biblical possibilities. Uh, we don't hold to the Pentecostal view that there is a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't hold to that for a lot of reasons biblically, but what is happening here? Well, it could be one of two things. One is that they didn't really believe until the apostles came, just like Simon didn't really believe. They didn't really believe. Then the apostles came, and then they really believed. I don't think that's the case, but, but we don't know for sure. Here's a second possibility, that this is a special, unique case where uh, because there were Samaritans now, remember Jesus promised uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now we're getting into Samaria. And what the Jews think about Samaritans? Kind of visibly show me what the Jews thought about Samaritans. And, ugh, they just didn't like Samaritans. And so now here's the gospel coming to Samaria. And what, what may be happening is God is allowing an apostolic confirmation to keep unity in the church. He's allowing an apostolic confirmation to allow unity in the church. And that's what's going on. Well, here's the reality. We don't know which is true. If they didn't believe until they came or they did believe, but the Holy Spirit came later. But I think here's the point. There is a direct comparison made between Simon and the Samaritans. Simon evidenced he really didn't believe. The Samaritans evidence at some point in time they did believe because they received the Holy Spirit. Do you know this? The coming of the Holy Spirit is always noticeable. Say it really carefully. The coming of the Holy Spirit is always noticeable. Let me show you in in Acts. So here is in Acts when the Spirit comes. So take a look at this list. The Holy Spirit, this is all how Luke talks about the Spirit coming. He says the Holy Spirit's been given to people. The Holy Spirit falls on people. The Holy Spirit's coming upon people. The Holy Spirit's being poured out on people. So that's some of the ways. It also says people were receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled. So, so where Paul differentiates between baptism and filling, Luke doesn't quite make the same differentiation. Dif- dif- whatever the word is, you know the word, just fill it in. And you try speaking in public for a living. So, but this, this is what's going on. So there's a little different distinction that Paul makes there. Luke might be making, but here's the point. Uh, when the Spirit comes, look at what happens. So now those seven different phrases, here are some actions coming out of those phrases. Sometimes they were speaking in tongues. Sometimes there was a gift of prophecy. Now, there's probably a variety of people in under redemption that have different views about the continuation of those things, and we're okay with that variety. But, but, but here's the point. Look at the other things that are there. Free and flowing praise of God's greatness. Obedience to the commands of God. It comes with courage and boldness for witness. Here's the point. It's always noticeable. There's there's something visible that happens when the Holy Spirit comes. There's there's noticeable things. Things you can point to. Uh, John Piper says this. The receiving of the Holy Spirit has effects that are clearly discernible. In the book of Acts, a person knows when he receives the Holy Spirit is an experience with effects you can point to. All right, a lot of talk there. Here's my point. If you have received the Holy Spirit, there should be a noticeable outcome in your life. Now, is there? Is there? 
Luke, go back to that list, would you, for me? Let's just leave tongues and prophecy for now, but let's go to the last three there. Overflowing praise of God's greatness. When you look back at your life, are you seeing more and more praise of God? Hey, it's possible to believe something but not really be saved. That you believe that part of the gospel but not all the gospel. And where are you? Are you seeing overflowing praise of God's greatness? Are you seeing more obedience to the commands of God? Like you're walking more obedience today than you ever have. Are you seeing growth in that area? Or more courage and boldness of your witness? Is that growing in you? Because if it's not, the pattern of your life isn't evidencing these things. Maybe you've never really received the Holy Spirit. Maybe you never really believed. This was really evident in Hebrews as we studied it, but it comes up frequently as you read the Bible. Like, it's, it's possible to be here in this church, man, to come every Sunday. It's possible to serve in a ministry, and, and, and you can talk the talk, and you can walk the walk, and everyone thinks you're a believer, but, but maybe, maybe you haven't really repented. Maybe there's some sin that you're like, you know what, I don't want to change that. I'm okay with that. And you've held on to that sin. I would charge you with Peter's charge to Simon. Repent. If you don't feel it right now, pray to the Lord that he may forgive the intention of your heart. Ask God that if possible, he might forgive you. I think if I'm going to end this sermon anyway, I think I have to end with that challenge. So maybe take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you just to ponder to the Lord for a moment. Just wherever you are right now, just close your, close your eyes, bow your head. And I'm not necessarily giving an invitation where you'll come up, but what I do want to do is let you deal with the Lord right where you are. You know. And I pray the Spirit is making it evident to you right now. Is there sin you're holding on to that you know you need to let go of but you just don't want to? Is that a pattern in your life? You need to repent. You need to call that sin sin and decide right now to turn away from it. But once you do, then you need to believe and what you believe is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. And what you believe is that he rose again victorious over the sin, and then you call on him to save you. And right now in your heart, you can do this. Turning from that sin, turn to Jesus and just say to him, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me. And right now, I believe Jesus died for me, and I believe he rose again, and I want to ask you to save me. And if you would, by faith, pray that, you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. 
but it will play out in your life. You will see evidences of the receiving of the Holy Spirit the more you walk with him. So, Father, all these things I give to you, all these things I lift up, I don't know the hearts of men. I don't pretend to know the hearts of men. I I can't know it, but you do. You know every heart. And I ask you, Father, that what you would do right now is again send your spirit to bring the conviction, and maybe some need to call out to you. Maybe there's sin that needs to be turned from. Lord, we're asking you to do that very thing and do it all for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one last thing, and then I'm going to let you be dismissed. And the last thing is this. Some of these sins are hard to walk away from, and you need help walking away from them. And I want to encourage you, seek us out. We'll get some counseling with you. We'll help you to see where that looks like to step away from them in your life. And I took one minute and seven seconds, eight seconds, nine seconds over. Thank you for coming. You are loved.